Um, hey family, I'm an alcoholic and an addict and my problem is Marcia. Um, I'm also, uh, also from the reading yesterday, Josie, I'm a phenomenal person. Uh, um, so welcome to everyone uh, to this speaker event. Um, so my mom, you know, that woman that lives upstairs, every now and then she, she starts asking some questions about the LGBT community. She refers to us as the alphabet people. Um, she says there's there's a letter out there for everyone, isn't there? Pretty pretty much. So um, the last event that we had here um, was uh, the Rainbow Recovery, and people representative of all the different letters that are there came and did some speaking. You can find that, those recordings on the Tesnua website uh, in the podcast uh, section. That was uh, quite uh, quite cool. So, um, but what came out of that was uh, somebody had sent me a message during that meeting and said, if you want to hear from some of the you know, the older gays and lesbians, uh, you know, give us a ring sometime and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come out and talk. And uh, so that's where the, uh, the partial part of this, the idea for today's um, meeting came from. Um, so for me, I mean, I, um, I came out when I was um, 18. Um, I was watching a show, talk show, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and uh, she had, uh, <laughs> And she had these two women that were on the on the meeting uh, on the show and they were holding hands and they were a couple and my jaw just dropped. Um, and I'm, in, I'm, I'm 50, 51. Um, so, um, you know, then I was just like, we never used the word gay around our household unless it was, um, you know, insulting the gay men. And I only, you know, ever heard about gay men and how, you know, that's just like frowned upon. Um, I'm raised in a very Christian household and, you know, so there's a lot of talk about, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and this and that and whatever. And I'm like, oh, um, so, you know, I have a problem with the whole religious side of things and whatever. And uh, so, you know, that was not some nothing that was ever talked about. But when I saw these two women, I'm like, all those feelings that I've been going through and stuff that I've been experiencing since I was little, I said, it was, it was all making sense to me. And I thought at when, you know, when the show was done, I'm like, that's it that's it that that's me that that is what I couldn't figure out I didn't have the words for it it's like I I'm a lesbian oh my goodness um and I mean like I blew the the closet doors off this is no coming out of the closet no like creeping or anything like that um I got very involved in the um and the gay community here in, in Toronto um did a lot of fundraising for the people with AIDS foundation and um and, and uh, just a lot involved in so many different things on so many different levels. Um, I, uh, I came out in, um, in the time when um, gay pride was still a protest. Um, it was still a protest and we're standing up for the rights and, and everything like that. Um, it wasn't a parade. Hey, Mary. No, it wasn't a parade. It was, it was a protest. And uh, I was having a conversation with uh, someone, uh, a younger um, person of the LGBTQ IA plus community. Um, we were talking about pronouns and all these different things. And, and I said, you know, things were a lot easier when I was out, um, when we were, you know, up and talking about, you know, the riots and Stonewall. And the person looked at me and said, what's Stonewall? And I said, ah, I was just like astounded. I'm like, well, you don't know your roots. You don't know the histories. You don't know, you know, what are you standing up for that you're so proud of? And, and I thought, wow, that's a, uh, you know, I also came out in that era where, you know, there were definite definitions of, of who they were. Um, my first girlfriend was the butch and I was the femme and that's the way it had to be. And um, um, a lot of labels like that were going around. Um, I remember one day we were getting ready to go out and I put on a pair of jeans and a button up shirt and she refused to leave the house with me. I was like, no, you are not dressing like that. You know, people are going to think you're a butch. I'm like, 
so what's wrong with that? You know, um, there's so many different things that were just so confusing and, and stuff like that when I came out and, um, you know, and, and it's also the, the, the on running joke that was, you know, what the, what the lesbians bring on their second date, you know, the U-Haul. Um, then that was exactly what happened. I've been involved with three different women at that point and, and each relationship lasted five years. And, and that's pretty much the way it went, you know, the day after it was, um, you move in and, and, and that was it. And, and all the, um, all, all the, all the lesbians had dinner parties and that's what, where you could find all of them. There was only a couple of gay bars here in Toronto for women. Um, but all the boys were running up and down all the, all the streets with all the different things. And there was a lot of drug activity and a whole bunch of stuff. And it was a confusing time. Very, very confusing time. Like when I came out, my family stopped talking to me. Um, I was told that people are allowed to be gay, but black people cannot be gay. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom told me I was going to be alone for the rest of my life. And there's so many, so many different things. And it was so confusing. So, I mean, like, that's what it was like for me when I came out, you know, and over the years, things have settled. I've not been in a relationship for tw over 20 years. Um, and I'm now, uh, I can proudly say that I'm in a relationship that is, uh, you know, I became a whole person. I brought a whole, the whole me into this relationship with this, um, with this other individual and, um, and, and, you know, it's probably, the, it is the first relationship that I, I'm engaged in where we've actually gotten to know each other before we got sexual. Um, like, yeah, that does happen. Like we became friends. Wow. <laughs> you know, and, um, and, and things are going really well. And, and it's like, you know, so, um, you know, that's a bit about me and, and, and how, where it was, where things happened with me and, and my progression. And I thought it'd be amazing to hear from some of the older people that have come along. Cause you know, just like, what I'm finding within the gay, within the community is that we're being separated, um, separated through labels and all these different things. And there's so many different assets, uh, factors of it, um, facets, I mean, and, uh, you know, all the different letters and, and everything. And I kind of sort of feel like that within, um, you know, the recovery community as well um, with the, you know, the secular and this, and then there's the Dharma recovery and there's smart recovery and all these things. And it's like, you know, I always, I always heard, you know, um, together we stand divided we fall and uh, so you know I wanted to know a little bit about you know more of my history and where things came from so what better thing to do than to ask um, and and talk to some of the uh, some of the older people of the gay community and I'm going to say gay community because that's what we used to say back then you know we were just the gay community there wasn't uh, all the different things and I'm not saying that disrespectfully because progression is progression and we need it right um, but I want to I want to dig back into the old days. <laughs> I want to hear about the gays from the old days and what they went through and and stuff like that. So um, uh, this time around, I've uh, asked three people and and uh, um, if they would share what it was like for them when they came out and and what it was like growing up gay and growing up gay in recovery or not recovery or whatever, just to share what what that was all about. So um, I'm going to start with uh, the first our first. Um, a speaker. Um, so each person is going to share for about 15, 20 minutes and, uh, and then we'll open it up for uh, comments and stuff afterwards. So thank you all for being here. Sit back, relax, and uh, let's hear a little about, bit about uh, them gays from the old days. So first up, we have Lila. Hi, Lila. Thank you for being here. Okay. <clears throat> My name is Lila and I have recovered from alcoholism. I came in uh, July 13th, 1981, which is 15,041 days, you know, and they say a day at a time. 
uh, <clears throat> it means that every one of those days I didn't drink and didn't kill myself. That's how I ended up here. I didn't discover that I was um, interested in women, a lesbian, until I was about 27, 28 years old. Um, I had gone through a divorce and I was very aware that divorce, that divorce had a lot to do with sexism. <clears throat> and uh, I was tired of being expected to make other people's lunch. I mean, that is just a short term of what I got tired of. <clears throat> and uh, I had a lot of gay men friends. Uh, and they would take me to the bars and we would dance all night and had a great time. And then eventually one of them said, we need to introduce you to some women. And we went to the leaded shade in Wisconsin. <laughs> it was one of those <coughs> rough and tumble groups of women. Uh, and uh, I had a nice time there, but you know, there was there was nothing uh, clicking anywhere. And then I met someone and it's like when we just touched, this energy happened. And I denied it for a while because there was a, a very good relationship where this was not uh, quote unquote appropriate to have anyone, to be involved with anyone, not just woman to woman. <clears throat> but eventually I had to let that go. And so my introduction to being gay was the day when we had a huge party and at Ellen's uh, uh, house. And then around two o'clock, uh, everyone left except these two people that we knew would settle in until about four. And I gave them their coats and said, go home. And we went and consummated our relationship was quite wonderful and romantic. And, and we also met with, um, you know, some of you may remember something called the Silva Mine Institute or EST before it became what it is today. And we um, dabbled in that for a couple of years, which is probably why I'm still airy fairy attached to this higher power uh, stuff. It has been with me all that time. And in, but in that, by 1981, I um, was a full blown uh, dope smoker and drinker and couldn't stop and discovered I couldn't stop. And another game, you know, it was, was so safe to be with the gay men. I just want to be a big, big thank you, thank you to every gay man who has embraced a person, any woman who is harmed by, um, sexual affronts in any way shape or form because it was so safe <clears throat> and i uh, and he said to me i'm going back to aa to take a break and so he went to aa to take a break i ended up in aa it took me two meetings because this holding hands and in doing the lord's prayer did drive me out the door the first time the second time I came back a little more humble because I hadn't been able to do it by myself. Although I knew all those people in those meetings were doing it. And uh, <clears throat> that didn't hold either. So that's how I ended up. And I, when I said, my name is Lila, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. And you all, this is, you know, back in, this is what the uh, Zoom baby seventh experience, the whole room goes, hi, Lila. Uh, all desire to drink and use disappeared. Now, the desire to kill myself because my life was such a mess did not disappear and didn't disappear for many years. Um, and I 
I was looking at Leslie here, who's a bit younger than I am. I got sober in the El Cerrito Fellowship while it was still about a bar in El Cerrito, California. And they were practicing the bands downstairs. And we were having a meeting upstairs all day. It was not the clubhouse, but it had probably about 10 meetings a day. And I went to three a day for the first year. There were gay people. There were lesbians. There were... Uh, it's a very diverse meeting, but we didn't talk about it much. Although the women will, will talk about my partnership or my lower team. And it was very clear when they came in hand in hand that they were lesbians. The other thing that had an interesting ring in, uh, and you didn't, never quite, quite knew which it was, was when it said women's meeting. A number of those women's meetings were mostly gay. Lesbian, excuse me, lesbian. <clears throat> and um, then there were others that were not. And this was before there was a designation for gay lesbian in the AA programs that showed the meetings. So I will say that during that time, it could just be but I was that I was totally unaware, but I cannot remember one instance of having been corrected or set aside or frowned at because I was a lesbian. There were enough of us that it was normalized. And that's when we came from Wisconsin, <coughs> Lois and I, we promised ourselves that we would not have any friends who didn't know who we were together. And um, for me, there was no better place than the Berkeley, Oakland area. The the. We used to call it the lesbian ghetto in Oakland and then the uh, the uh, the gay heaven in San Francisco with two incomes, uh, male incomes, and we had two female incomes over in Oakland. Um, <clears throat> after four, after 10 days, I asked someone to sponsor me. I was four years, because four years was like the top of what I thought anyone could understand who I was. Anyone with more sobriety would totally have lost what it was like being new and scared and crazy. Well, I'm here to say I do remember what it was like in the first, I can tell you almost every year what it was like, because it changed, it changed. There were new pains every year and new joys every year. And little by little, the joy started to take over the pain. Now, I didn't really know if she was a lesbian or not. <laughs> Turned out she was. And I didn't find out until the woman I had moved up with that was the low of my life left me because of my bad behavior. And uh, the influence of Al-Anon, which became a four-letter word in my vocabulary for a number of years, they made her leave me. And I was going to go kill myself and called Helen first. And I sat on the steps outside, ready to go in my car. And she came and took me for this long full day drive in her ancient MG with the top down. We ran out of gas outside of San Francisco, not out of uh, Sacramento <laughs> because her, her gauge wasn't working. Uh, but we had the whole day and she told me about how she came with a woman to California and that the woman left her because she wanted children and to live. And at that point, I didn't see like my honey right now that as, as, as Marilyn says, I should have had the children back then when I could. 
and just never mind having a man in the picture. So she was, and, and it was just such a, it really helped my survival that she shared that story about being a lesbian that had fallen victim to the, um, to the uh, norms that single women didn't have children. And that how her lesbian lover left because she was stuck in that impossible situation between having children and, and um, acting strange. So I had Helen for 13 years and she remothered me. And I think that's another thing about, um, not only did she remother me, I want to talk a little bit about what it looks like going to meetings in those days, because all of the famous women musicians, maybe there was one exception, who came to AA meetings. And I remember going to an AA meeting and saying, oh my God, that is. And then other AA meetings saying, oh my God, that is. And oh my God, that is. And then I went to my first women's uh, music festival. And uh, it was mostly gay. It didn't say lesbian festival. It said women's music festival. And we were hanging out uh, by Hedge Hedgety. And there was roped off one section for women who drank, one section for women with children, <laughs> one section for those of us who didn't drink, and then one section for women with boy children under six, or I can't remember exactly how it worked. And I remember the women were playing uh, baseball in the nude. I mean, it was just such a, it was just a mind-blowing experience about what women could do together without thinking much about how society outside looked at them. Of course, one of the women walking down the road happened to uh, walk outside of the camp boundaries and got, promptly got, um, Arrested by the sheriff. <laughs> it's ay, 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 ay. but my journey in AA has basically been one of personal growth because I came in without the map and the 12 steps gave me a map. I moved to Oklahoma after I had been sober for five years. Little bitty town up in Cherokee County, Adair County. And uh, the president was wonderful. And he said, but if you're going to work here, you have to be in the closet because the Native Americans won't be able to hear you because of the Baptist church. And I didn't really have many options for work. I had tried, couldn't find it in Berkeley, finished all my coursework, but not the dissertation. So I cried the entire way because I knew that my life as I knew it was over and it was. I went to one AA meeting and all it was about was church and family. So I stopped that, but there was a new recovery center. It all is totally crazy, mostly, mostly drug addicts. So I went to Narcotics Anonymous for two years, two years. Did a lot of service because they needed old timers like me that had two and three years of clean time. I was the old timer. There were three old timers. We, and all three of us were gay, now that I think about it. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that until now. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> and um, 
I cried so hard because of this divorce that happened that I couldn't even drive to the regional meeting. So Terry Simpson always drove me. And then you one other lesbian in that entire place, and she was dating a guy. So I dated a guy too, you know, when in Oklahoma, do what they're coming to. Although I knew it was temporary, it was like a transitional object. Um, and when I finished the dissertation, which I would never have finished unless I got there, that's what I, that's the, the blessing of this place. There was really nothing else to do towards the end. And the president wanted me to write about the institution I work in. That I made that at 73% Cherokee students, and I'm working on a family model rather than an individual model. And I finished, and um, this will probably be my second to last story, or I don't know how I'm doing on time, Marsha. Um, <clears throat> I know I want to go back to California, but I end up in LA where I don't want to be. Um, nothing grows south of Santa Barbara. If you lived in Berkeley, you know that nothing grows south of Santa Barbara. It's all, yeah, I see you. I have a surprise for you. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and it was an institution that mostly that dealt with early childhood education. I was scared of children. And <clears throat> they told me, though, it didn't matter that much because I, what I needed was someone to organize the curriculum in a way that was consistent with their values, which is one of the things I'm good at and what I did in, in Oklahoma. <clears throat> However, I still don't want a job. Never mind, I have 94 resumes out there and this is my only interview. I don't care because I partied for a full day, 24 hours in Berkeley with all my sober friends that I finished my dissertation and I decided to stop smoking when I finished dissertation. So that Monday that I interviewed for eight hours was also my first day without cigarettes. Now, <laughs> and it's a job I don't want. So, you know, I wasn't even nervous. <clears throat> I get into the room that I have set up to interview me that's done in, in, in um, amphitheater style, but it's flat, I mean. And so I go and rearrange the room that they have set up to interview me in, because in, my presentation, I was going to do interactive tables like I always do when I've been teaching. And the faculty loved it because that is how they teach. If I had been the same woman still smoking cigarettes, not having been up for about 36 hours without much sleep and wanting that job, would I have rearranged the room? I don't know. But I did and they loved it. And at the end, the president asked me, so what else should know about you? I don't care. I said, I'm a lesbian that's presently in a heterosexual relationship that won't last. I am five years sober. <laughs> I don't want the job. And I get the job. I get the job. The president was a lesbian. The development officer was a lesbian. <laughs> the business officer was a lesbian. <laughs> I fit right in. I fit right in. Um, and it was run on rather humanistic feminist principles. Some of the women had been very active in, um, in uh, uh, protest marches in LA over time. I got an old book about protest marches in LA over time. And the guy who took me to AA was one of the major instigators of all that. And I never knew. So I think that 
that what's happened for me is that the 12 steps are still my living map. I've done the steps many times, but I've always done them with a, after the first couple with a theme. So the first theme after that divorce was how to break your addiction to another person. And I said to the guy who just gave me the book in an AA meeting where I'm sitting in Cuddle of Tears up in Berkeley, thinking, yeah, one of those self, self-help self books. I had a healthy early AA uh, attitude. And I read the book and it kind of had all these questions built into it that came up for me. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. I was in Oklahoma, there wasn't much else to do. It took me four hours to read it to Bruce. But what happened was that it healed relationships for me. The book was about really relationship between people, not about someone having left you. And it's pretty addictive when I'm in a relationship and I'm the only one in the relationship. She has left. Then in 1990, 89, 90, I met Marilyn. And... Um, she pursued me. She doesn't like to admit it, but she did for half a year before I got it. So every one of my friends knew I was in love before I knew. And I said to Helen, I don't want to get into another relationship because they've all been, um, you know, love them and leave them. And she said to me, this is the AA voice. You are not that same person anymore. I was 10 years sober and I wasn't that same person anymore. I am not involved in what I was in Berkeley, the, the lesbian community here, like I was up there. It's not readily available, it exists. Um, we go to gay or rented, uh, we, we went and saw Hole in Air, do a one person show and I came in, started to cry and cried until it was over. Um, a couple of times we've had all in here actually and uh, some other gay performers back from the day when I was young and they were young you know so I think my AA life has made me a better person um, and I was thinking about this division stuff is that it's just that I need you to see me first for the one that I know I am which is a lesbian and when I hear and feel that you have seen me, heard me, felt me, I can say now I can be one of all of these people. Because then I am not taken away by melding in with you. So anyway, that's all I have to say then, Masha. Thank you for asking me to speak. Thank you so much, Lila. That was amazing. Um, I really connected when you said when you met when you met your one, you know, that's uh, that was how I felt with the woman that I'm currently with right now. So I, as soon as I saw her, I just knew, you know, that's the one to wait two and a half years in order to pursue her. But, uh, you know, I was a good girl. So um, good things come to those who wait. Uh, thank you very much, Lila. I really appreciate your share. Um, our second speaker is Campbell. Thanks for being here. It's all yours. Thank you. Good day, I'm Campbell, I'm an alcoholic, I'm human, I'm gay, I'm a sculptor, I was an art history major, and I'm retired, and all those priorities change. I mean, if I'm at an AA meeting, I'm always an alcoholic. 
and it's a good reminder. But um, I, you know, as I say to Marsha, the fastest way to stop living one day at a time is knowing that you've got to talk to people in three weeks. So uh, <laughs> I'm a note taker. I, I was trained by English teachers with a whip and a chair and a cattle prod and all this other stuff. So one thing before I start, if Gamora will, Sodomite. But anyway, uh, growing up gay, I don't know, I was born in 1948. My father was a school principal. My mother was a homemaker. Um, normal life for the 50s and, and stuff. But, you know, I didn't know what gay was. I just know who I didn't want to be. And one of them was Liberace or the floor walkers that were presented by movies or anything else. So um, it, the quote from Jung will always come up. It's one of my dead horses. Loneliness does not come from having no people about one, but from being unable to communicate the things that seem important to oneself or from certain views which others find inadmissible. And that's, that's kind of important. I mean, you know, it's, it's that you feel different, but you don't know what to do about it and you don't know how it is. I always do the quote, I'm a quote man. Um, Michelangelo started a, a sonnet with, I want to want that which I do not want. And I think he was talking about being straight, but it also can apply to getting sober. I want to want that, which I do not want. And it takes time to, to do that. And then I changed it in my mind. I want to want what I want, but I don't know what I want. And that was how one felt growing up. If you didn't, you didn't have any idea of what, what was going on. Um, you know, and, and things that come up in 1973, they finally took homosexuality off the books as being a mental illness. 1969, Stonewall happened. I didn't know a thing about that. I mean, I think I had my first sex with another human being, uh, another man, uh, when I was 23. So late bloomer and didn't bloom very much. So, but, uh, and anytime you wanna say, okay, boomer, shut up and you're not relevant. We are born irrelevant. We spend our lives trying to be relevant and then we die, but irrelevant never forgets. So growing up, you know, late in, in my life, well, when I went to graduate school, my mother put an article in my suitcase, fluorescent lights causes homosexuality in rats. Now, this was done out of love. I mean, your parents don't hate you. They just know that you're going to have a tough time. And her other line was, don't do anything until your father retires. So this is, this is the nature of the beast. I, I mean, when I grew up, you know, I, McCarthy was there and it was communist pinko, pinko communist. And pinko was aimed at being gay. I'm sorry it was. And so, you know, the closet seems like a safe, safe place, but it also teaches you 
how to be an outsider and what you can get out of it. I mean, fear opens your mind and opens your eyes and you can see other people that have it. And, and it's, you know, it may even be part of gaydar, but it, you can, and that's a virtue, being an outsider, seeing the, the world from another side, having empathy for people that you, yeah. So obviously that's whatever. Um, and also it's sort of a double life. I mean, what what is more perfect for an alcoholic than to lead a double life? I mean, you pretend you're not an alcoholic and you also pretend you're straight. So these were things that, that punctuated my childhood and my growth and all this other stuff. Uh, always looking for your tribe. I finally went to gay bars in, in the uh, 70s. And there I didn't quite feel right either because, um, you know, it's too loud to talk and that's all I've got. Uh, you're not pretty, you gotta get drunk to dance and you're not picked at the end of the night to go home with somebody. So I, in the end, I went to the baths and threw in the towel and nobody cared. So it was just, you know, it was, it worked. Uh, the baths that you knew what you were getting and you got it and I've come away with friends and lovers from the baths, but anyway. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, some other things, sex is just part of being a homosexual. I mean, being a man, you think about sex all the time, but you're not having sex all the time. That's what Pornhub is for. And the other thing I'm going to say is how in hell do these porn stars have cross tattoos on their back? I mean, I'm sorry. This is just weird as far as I'm concerned. When we said the Lord's Prayer at meeting, uh, gay meetings, I would say, you're praying to the God of your enemies, God. And you just, I'm saying, well, whatever. It's not highly erotic and they're not defactionalizing the cross. But, you know, you've got to sort of have shared values if you're going to share a bed. And that's, that's it. Um, uh, no hunts for heroes. The only, some of the things that, that got me, I, I mean, there were, when I grew up, it was not until college that I learned that there were other people like me. The Satyricon, Fellini Satyricon, Boys in the Band, though it may be criticized as being harsh, I saw someone that wasn't a flamer, that wasn't a sissy, and that's it, and Cabaret, when Michael York says, so do I, sleeping with Fritz, or whatever his name was. Uh, so this was what I, what I had. And, and I don't know whether being gay contributed to my drinking, because the only place you met them was at the gay bars, and, and that's the way you were, uh, got, got friends. Um, being a sculptor, I, I made stuff. Um, I'm <clears throat> Leslie Lohman, well, whatever, I'm satisfying Marsha, we talked about this. I would rather be a gay professional than professionally gay. And I made sculptures and they got into the uh, Leslie Lohman Museum of Gay Art. It's finally become a museum. But, uh, you know, I was a little hesitant about that. I make sculptures and they're male nudes and 
and actually lesbians buy my female nudes too. So I'm good, but um, you know, it's, it's sometimes I thought their idea of gay art was if he had an erection, it was gay. And I don't, <laughs> yeah, I haven't risen to that occasion. Um, my, I was, I joined AA at the force of a higher power, and that was the court system. I DUI, my third one, and went to jail and whatever. Uh, and I, they asked, well, is it anything that we can, and of course I was court ordered to, to AA, anything we can do? And I, they said, I said, well, give me gay meetings. And there were such things. There was one that had about five people in it in Mentor, Ohio. And gay was, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors. There were about two of us. And you put enough mirrors up, you could find other people. But uh, that was my first experience. And then people from Cleveland would come out and, and we would expand. Um, so, and what kept me in that meeting? One of, one of the, I asked two people to be my sponsors. One was an atheist and one was a Jesuit priest. The Jesuit priest kept me there with a with a poem, with not with a poem, but a Buddhist prayer. You know, may all the sentient creatures of the universe be blissful. May all the sentient creatures of the universe be joyful. And I thought if a Jesuit priest could do that, and I figured if everybody was joyful, they'd leave me alone. And that kept me in AA for a while, and uh, well, forever. So, um, yeah. I have, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's trying to find your tribe. And if you can find your tribe, that's that's a, a good thing. And I don't look for lovers in AA because, well, I found them outside. Uh, one of my professors from graduate school, we were lovers and friends for 47 years. Uh, when I moved back home, I, I found somebody else in 20 years, and then I had someone else and whatever. I, you know, I figured when they offered marriage, maybe the gays would have a new paradigm that didn't require it, but I understand the legal ramifications and, and the, the need to tie the knot, but it has never occurred to me to do that. I, I heard someone and and this, sorry, this is just rambling, but uh, you know, he said, I went to bed with somebody and there were five people in bed and four of them were me. And that is often, that's often the case. I mean, if you're, if you're doing what, and there's my projections and all this other stuff. So uh, yada, yada, political correctness, I find it, an anathema because it cuts down on thought and um, and the cancel culture to err is human to forgive is not our policy. So let's hope they don't have pride in their victimhood and dedicate themselves to revisionist history. Anyway, I've I've managed to get through AA with two gay meetings, and when I found it, and I. 27 years in NA, no trouble with drugs. I, it just seemed logical after I heard a, 
hour and 15 minute lead. And he said, at, at, at an hour and 15 minutes to make a long story short. And I basically just switched fellowships for that uh, for a while. They were AA Nazis anyway. But um, I, I, I have two AA uh, gay AA groups. Uh, specialist meetings are good. I mean, they give, they give you possibilities. You can talk about things that they understand. I mean, that's the answer. You have empathy and you don't have to switch pronouns and you don't have to do anything else. And I have been with people, we have Thanksgiving. This is the fellowship that grows up around you. I have three people that I've known for 34 years in AA and we, we have, it's close. It's, it's, a, it's not a click. It's, it's friends. And uh, so, but when I found agnostic meetings, sometimes I found them much more comfortable than my, my gay meetings. As I say, there was one that said the Lord's Prayer afterwards. And I would only say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And, and I was at a big book meeting. And after about four or five years, I know you can't step in the same big book twice, but I had said all that I wanted to say, all the underlinings that I had were repeated. And so when I found agnostic meetings about 10 years ago, I switched and, and I was in on the start of some of them and moved around. And now you can go six nights, seven nights a week and twice on Saturday and Sunday. And you know, so, and you can do it on Zoom, so I don't even have to put on pants. Uh, but sometimes, you know, uh, so anyway, um, yeah, I'm not sure I have anything more to say, and I can't say it any faster. So I will pass. Thank you for listening. Irrelevant never forgets. <laughs> Thank you so much, Campbell. You know, I really enjoy listening to what you have to say. And I always look to see if you're going to stick your hand up when we're in a meeting because just your perspective on things is just uh, quite incredible. And, and I and I like what you said about, you know, wanting to be um, uh, uh, a gay professional and not professionally gay because there's so many uh, the, the stereotypes and the ones that are lived up to that are just so, you know, if this is what we're going to be known as, then no thank you. So thank you so much for your insight on all of that. So, um, all right. And to round us up, we're going to travel across the pond. Um, when I first came in, I followed this woman around. Um, I don't know, maybe I was pursuing her <laughs> um, to every meeting that I could go to. Um, and uh, she's become a huge part of my recovery. And uh, so it's all uh, over to you, Annie. You are um, going to round up the, uh, the thank you. Hey, Annie. Um, thank you very much, Marcia, and thank you, Jim. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't prepare anything that when I speak at a meeting. So I just, I, I, I jotted down a couple of dates, but that's all. So I'm Annie. As Marcia said, I'm in Ireland. I'm grateful to be in recovery. And just for context, I'll say I got sober on the twenty, you know, my, my sobriety dates twenty third of January, um, nineteen seventy four, and that's just for context. Um, so obviously I've got, I've got my stories. I've got lots of stories. I've got my 
drinking story. I've got my recovery story. I've got my secular story. I've got my sexual orientation story. I've got all sorts of things that happened to me story. Um, but for this one, uh, because we only have a certain amount of time and you don't want to be here till tomorrow, I'm going to talk about Ireland and when we all came out and what happened. And um, just to say that, uh, you know, sexuality and so on was not a part of my drinking. And uh, I just never really had a problem with it for myself. But, you know, I perceived that maybe other people did. And I don't have labels to give you. I know if anyone wants to send me a questionnaire that you take all the boxes and then it tells you at the end what you actually are, I will do it. But I've never seen one and I've never done one. So um, I'm not quite sure what to tell you, but I know I'm not heterosexual. And that's the one thing I'm sure about. And I never have been. I don't know what it feels like. And I tried to say that to somebody when I got sober first, my first year, and I was told, quote, don't say things like that about yourself. That was the beginning and the end of that discussion. And I realized I wasn't to talk about it. So I didn't. Now, it wasn't actually, as I say, a problem because I, you know, I didn't drink over this and I didn't feel in any way bad about it. So it wasn't really something I needed to talk about. But at the same time, I think we're all aware of what it's like in AA when you start keeping secrets and it's not good. But um I got to experience, uh, it sort of came out in 78, but I got to experience a, a meeting in London. Uh, so I live around in around Dublin, in Ireland. So I got to experience a meeting in London, in the UK in 1979. My very, very first time going to an AA meeting that was an LGBT meeting. And as Marcia says, we used to call them gay meetings back then. And I really remember that that smile inside myself. I just had an interior, you know, that happy face, smile, the yellow one. I had that in my tummy just, just because I was there. So that's my first experience of being all of myself in an AA room. And I realized that this is like, you know, it's, it's an AA is not a place we're supposed to be keeping secrets, but that was sort of the message I got. And that's what I did. I just didn't talk about stuff. And I must say that was a really happy experience to do that. And then in 1980, I got to experience meetings you know, LGBT meetings, lots of different types of meetings, actually, in the US. Um, I was there for a couple of months. I even I spent a few weeks in San Francisco. And and if there's anybody in San Francisco who was around in 1980, maybe we met. Um, so I, I did uh, meet some terrific people there. I actually experienced my first secular meeting in 1980 as well in, in San Francisco. But um, anyway, came back to Ireland and I realized that I wanted more of this. And I also realized even more so that other people needed to experience this, not just me. Like I had had the, the the opportunity to travel. I had the opportunity to experience this, but there was other people that weren't going to get that. And I'm not 100% sure how we, we actually got together, the few of us that started the first one. But I just will say that I remember being at... No, after being at um, what we call it, like a gay disco, I, I, I like dancing. So this was something I remember I was quite young at this stage. So this would have been this would have been the early 1980s. And we were just chatting outside on the street, maybe two o'clock in the morning, saying about, you know, getting getting together a gay meeting. 
and uh, just having a bit of crack really and laughing and crack in Ireland is fun. It's not anything that you take, by the way. I have to just qualify that. It's just a word we use for having fun. You're having a bit of crack. So it's not what you think. Um, it's perfectly great. Um, so anyway, somehow or another, in 1982, we got together to have the first um, LGBT, what we call the gay meeting in Ireland, in Trinity College. And um, we celebrated that here in Dublin um, last month in July. And uh, that was 40 years ago. So that was quite a, a milestone here in, in Ireland that we, you know, that we had that. And then we moved from Trinity College to um, to a building. I just for just for 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 you know for reasons just just there was there was just lots of reasons why we needed to move. But anyway, we moved to a building uh, in Leeson Street, and um, subsequently, years later, a, a lost Caravaggio painting was discovered in this building. So we I, we we now refer to those years as the Caravaggio years that we were in this building for three years with the lost Caravaggio. So when I see this Caravaggio painting in the National Gallery in Dublin, I look at it and say, I knew you when you were nothing, because I did. <laughs> so there were the Caravaggio years and they were good years, you know, and that meeting ended not just because we ran out of people to run the meeting. And um, for reasons I won't go into, I was pregnant. <laughs> so I couldn't continue to lose, to run the meeting. and. Um, just like we, with dignity, we disbanded. And uh, the nice thing about this, though, was even though there were no there were no gay meetings after that for, for for another while, we all knew each other and we would spot each other at meetings. And we would I would mentally count how many of us were in the room. Like a going, there was a sort of like a I don't know, like a like a like a you know, like a floating group of us and we'd go for coffee together and stuff like that. But then in 1989, um, the women got together and we started a lesbian meeting, the very beginning of 1989, because one woman, a friend of mine outside of AA had come in and really wanted this and we did it for her. And we, we got together and we said, you know, we're going to be squeaky clean and we're going to stick to all the rules and we're going to have all the traditions and we're going to have like we had a handbook and we were going to do it by the book. Nobody was going to throw anything at us and say we were breaking any rules. And we ended up getting two of us off to area as, as to represent the group and that we would be official. And that was grand. Somebody came from intergroup, introduced us into area. Everything was great. You could have heard a pin drop now when we introduced ourselves, but they were very respectful. And and uh, it was myself and, and my friend went and she still talks about it. I think she she's still carrying the post-traumatic stress of that evening. And um, it came and went and everything was great. But then they got to hear about it. By they, I mean the people who secretly run AA that are up on top and run everything. And I'm not saying everyone in Ireland who runs things are homophobic and bigots. But some of them are. And they made the presence felt in no uncertain terms. This is still 1989. So <clears throat> they went around and they infiltrated all the group consciences in the country. And I, I it, it was quite scary. And it was probably it was probably one of the lowest moments, I think, of AA in Ireland. And they were just striding around like preachers, 
you know, they were doing this with their hands and striding up and down the room. And one woman was saying um, that people in the US were writing to her and telling her not to let happen in Ireland what happened over there. I can just gather my, my, my imagination as to what they meant, but this is the message. And she fear-mongered. This is something that I witnessed personally. And um, seemingly that's what happened all over the country. A number of people infiltrated group consciences all over the country. Went through area, went through intergroup, and they delisted every meeting in Ireland that had a name. In other words, there was no women's meetings anymore. There was no men's meetings anymore. There was certainly no LGBT meetings anymore. They were all just meetings. They were listed, but not with a description. And everybody was like, everybody, you know, oh yeah, by the way, that made me realize that if I didn't see the reason, you know, the reason that we needed the LGBT meetings in Ireland up to that, I certainly saw it after I saw this hatred and bigotry. And I really was shocked and I was really hurt. And I think a lot of people, well, I know a lot of people were, and people were like stunned in disbelief. Now, by the end of 1989, this women's meeting had become a mixed meeting because there weren't enough women <laughs> that stayed on to run it. So we, we just opened up and became a mixed meeting. And this meeting, I might add, is still running. This meeting that we started the beginning of 1989 is still running without a break to this day. Um, people went into the system and broke their hearts over this issue. You know, people um, like they just about sacrificed themselves on the cross of the cause, you know, and like people say to me, like, why don't you fight it? Why don't you do this? I could tell you weeping the stuff we did and try to get this reversed from 1989. And I have to tell you, it has never been reversed. And people try even still, we, we, we do it now like we do it, like with motions and petitions and stuff, and it goes through the system and it goes as far as conference and conference only runs once a year. And I talked to somebody as lately as um, during lockdown, I talked to a woman who has belonged to conference in Ireland. And um, she was, sorry, Ireland, I must say, is divided into four groups for conferences. We have four provinces. So it's Ulster, Munster, Leinster and Connacht, North, South, East and West. For purposes of AA, Ireland is actually united. All of Ireland runs AA, not just uh, the three provinces. So this woman anyway was belonging to the province I live in, which is Leinster, which is in the, in the east of the country. And she said to me that, she said, it's not everyone in conference is stopping this happening. She said, it's well, from what I can gather, it's the west of Ireland. It may also be the south. I wish, I wish I'd written this down at the time, so I can't remember if she included the southern people and the, and the western people, but it was definitely the west. So from what I can gather, the AA is being actually run by a couple of farmers over in the west of Ireland or something, because like, it's the same four people, or maybe they're not the same four people, but the same place is actually literally voting this down and we have sent in like people have come to me and said why don't you do more why don't you do this why don't you do that and like as I say I can give you a really long 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 list for instance since 1989 of all the stuff like when it passed 30 years like that really broke my heart because I thought I can't believe this is still happening I can't believe it's still happening people said things like they'll die it'll finish they'll die and maybe they did die, but they had babies because it's still happening. 
And I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. And the thing that I have to remember, though, is, and I have to keep remembering, is why I'm in AA. Like, I'm in AA to be sober, to stay sober and help other people get sobriety. That's it. Like, I am not here to beat drums and have lost causes. You know what I mean? To, like, I'm not here to threaten my own sobriety. And, and we had a funny thing. I don't know if I have much more time there. But we just had a funny thing that happened. I'll just share um, before I finish. Was, uh, there's another group started up. Uh, so we we have two main groups. We had a third one, but it didn't it didn't last. But this other one is running since the 90s. And a person who came in during the Caravaggio years started this. So everything goes back to the Caravaggio years. But um, this meeting anyway is held in a LGBT community centre. As it happens, it you know it is three meetings a week. And years ago, when we like when it started off, we got together when we were doing our listing to you know to the the general service office um you have to get a bit devious i suppose in a way but like i was saying like why don't we just put in the address as lgbt community center they don't use that they just use the number 105 capo street they don't they don't use lgbt community center but i said to the group conscience why don't we put it in as part of our address because we're getting it in there and they were like yeah yeah let's do that so we did that and that went on for years and years and years, like, and with reprinting of the little directory, with reprinting and reprinting, the LGBT slid, the letters slid to the right. And it all sort of like slid in under the meeting description. And as it turns out, they didn't know what it meant. So they left it there. And then we had the marriage referendum in 2015. And suddenly the entire country knew what LGBT meant. And they just went, ah. We've been listing in LGBT meeting all these years. They brought in solicitors. And seemingly the solicitors said, look, leave it alone. You've been doing this. Like this is, you know, this is something that's standing. Like you can't change this. Anyway, um, it's part of our address. The fact that it slid wasn't, wasn't our problem. It was their problem. And we can continue to use it as part of the address. Just push it back over to the left. But like that just shows you the absurdity of what's going on here. And, um, you know, I don't know what to say like I don't have an answer for this at the moment uh like lots of groups I'll just say have suffered over this like if you know if you want a women's meeting you will only find it if you know it if you want a men's meeting like they exist but they'll tell you they don't women the the, the young people's meeting has suffered tremendously over this I, I had to go talk to them because they said we thought we were lepers we couldn't figure out why we were being treated like this because they get actually quite Almost to be used if they sort of curl their lip and they go specialist meetings. They, we have no specialist meetings in Ireland. And they actually talk to you like that because they don't want specialist meetings in Ireland. And they spit the word out. And it's just like, what the fuck? We're the only country in the world that doesn't list our meetings. And I'm, I'm washing this dirty laundry here because it is ourselves. You know, people want me to go to the press. I'm not doing it. I am not washing AA's dirty laundry in public, but I will wash it until it's spotless in front of ourselves. And you will hear me washing it until I can't scrub it any longer. So that's it. That's our dirty laundry in Ireland. But we are still here. We're still running. They're still running like they're, 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 there's about like five nights a week, I think, in, in person back again. We have online meetings. Uh, we have a newspaper here called Gay Community News that publishes all our everything for us and has done that forever. You know, they've been tremendously. In fact, Gay Community News got more people sober, I think, in, in the gay community than, than, than AA did, you know, outside of us. Uh, so I want to give a thanks to them. And I'm always thanking them because they've been terrific. 
so yeah, we're still here, queer and um, you know, sober. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you and so Jim. much, Annie. That was absolutely incredible, uh, amazing. Um, thank you to all, um, all three of you for um, uh, being so open and uh, and talking about uh, yourself and the issues and, and all of that, and, and for just being yourself. You know, um, I have that rainbow flag behind me. Uh, that that is part of who I am. Just like you said when you talked about when you you had all of you was there um you know that is uh that, that is how i feel it's such a huge and important thing um and i'd also like to thank uh jim for uh, your service and anybody else who's helping out and for everybody for being here um before we stop the recording um i'd like um a couple comments um uh, just to, uh, attached onto it so if you do not mind being recorded um uh to make a comment uh, just a uh, one or two that would be great um please uh, stick your hand up and uh i'll turn the meeting back over to jim um, so Jim, just grab a couple comments and then we'll, um, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll turn the recording off and then we can, um, continue with the comments until, um, until the, uh, uh, the meeting starts up. So, um, yes, I'm an alcoholic and an addict. I'm Marsha, proud lesbian, um, of this community. I've never been discriminated against for the color of my skin, my orientation for just being a bitch at times, uh, in the rooms of AA, um, this is, this is where I found my home. This is where uh, I'll always be at home. Uh, I'm, and I'm honored to be part of, of this fellowship, uh, regardless if you're <laughs> in a, a traditional meeting and tell me to get down on my knees. But the thing is, the third tradition says, I don't know, <laughs> you can't kick me out. You know, third tradition says you can't kick me out. So I'm going to be here <laughs> from now until the end of time. So thank you, Jim. I'm going to turn the meeting back over to you. And thank you all for being here. And I hope everybody has a great day. And as I always say, just keep your head out of your butt and do the next right thing. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Marsha. And thank you everyone for speaking today. I'm so glad I was here to hear you, you all, uh, you all share, but uh, I'm going to turn it over right away to Georgia. Please come on and share with us. Oh, let me, should be able to now. Okay. Thank you, Georgia. Grateful to be in recovery. Um, thank you so much to everyone for sharing your um, experience, strength, and hope. Um, I, I had started uh, an atheist agnostic meeting one time and did just did experience a little bit of backlash in getting us on the meeting list by the meeting list um, coordinator. But my question to um, any of you is, um, were any of you influenced by Marty Mann in your early recovery? Thank you. No, Lila, I saw Lila shake her head there. Um, what about you, Annie? Uh, it, I, well, we were invited to read her book, Primer and Alcoholism, when I was in, actually in hospital. Um, and I didn't. And I didn't know anything about Marty Mann's private life. So maybe I'd have read it if I did. But um, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I, I don't, I'm trying to, I have to think now, was I influenced by anybody? Uh, but like, you know, that way i don't know i'll have to think about that campbell alcoholic yeah i mean she was one of the best stories in the big book i mean it was like reading a new yorker article she wakes up in the in an apartment that she doesn't know where it is and, and I, I yes i was and it, it gave me hope and all this other stuff i and the guy and i can't remember his name but who wrote living sober I mean, these are two giants 
gay people at the beginning of AA. And, and we should be proud of that. Um, it wouldn't have happened as well as it happened without us. And I've got one more thing that a friend, he felt rejected by the, uh, he didn't know what to say, but he didn't want to be a flamer or anything else. And someone suggested, you are gay as you understand it, which is just wonderful. I pass, thank you. Thanks, Campbell. Derek, hey, you uh, come on in, please unmute. Uh, yeah, no, Derek uh, here, uh, two different things. One thing about a proud father gay story um, is that I have a lot of gay friends in London, you know what I mean? And I'm eternally curious and I just like to get to know people. So as part of, they were all gay men, right? So therefore no lesbian stories. But I was always intrigued about the whole coming out story with the parents, yada, yada, yada. Some guys did it later, some go, la, 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 la. So, um, you know, it was my son basically one day says to me, oh, dad, because I'm divorced from my wife. Oh, I need to talk to you about somebody who's 19. And he takes me, oh, we go to the pub after we've done our bits and shit like that. And it's just a classic father-son story that we really, we sit in the pub, I'm, not, I'm drinking lemonade, he's having a pint, right, just to be clear on that. And it's just a lot of inane shite he's talking about. And we get in the car and he's getting all fidgety and I know something's up with him. And, you know, I says, so what's up? You know, he says, oh, I've got something else. And he obviously comes out to me, you know what I mean? I was just like, oh, okay. And the the thing was, this is that obviously because I've got like gay friends and apparently Luke, please, it's just I'm straight old white guy, right? But I'm just saying a lot of my gay friends had shared with me that they had what they called the tester girlfriend when they were whatever, 13, 14, 15. And he had a girlfriend for about 18 months or whatever like that. And the, the guys that shared with me, it was sort of a common thing. They were they were the perfect boyfriend in a way. They weren't trying to really get into the girls' knickers and they were talking and all that great stuff. And eventually the girl is the one who tries to get the relationship to the next level. <laughs> and by this stage, obviously, a confused boy or whatever, really, a boy at that stage has probably worked out, now this isn't for me, but she's really lovely and she's a really great friend. And, uh, yeah, so... She, he basically just breaks off with her badly. You know, everybody's huge rows because they're all friends and all that stuff. And then eventually, obviously, a few years later, he must have been about 17, he comes out to his friends eventually, and then they become fast friends again. So I was able to share that with my son. Oh, did this happen? Did that happen? And he's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing was, is that because he's my son, and he was just sitting there and he was about to go to back to college the next week. And I said, well, have you told mom? And he said, no. And it was just such a boy thing at the time. And I was just sitting there with him. And I said, son, your plan isn't to tell your mom as you're about half an hour away from being dropped off at college. And he's just looking down like that. And he's going, yeah, son, you can't do that. When, when all the boys are away, you've got to sit down with mom like you've sat down with me. And share it with her but the reason i'm so proud because basically i share that with all my gay friends and they were just oh my god he came out to you first again not being experienced with this very common from what i understand very rare for a son to come out to the father first so i feel proud of that you know i mean i got one over on my ex you know what i mean um 
And then the other side of the story is, is here, in relation to what Annie shared about Ireland, I am just back about six or seven months and Annie was chatting to Annie at some point about, because I come out from London, we don't use the Our Father. And I'm in, taking over a meditation meeting. And I just made a suggestion at the group conscience, you know, can I just say the serenity prayer, classic AA meeting. Oh, Jesus, I had no concept of what I just did. It was like I just shat in the carpet among the group conscience. They, got, they were decent enough to have a vote for it, but like I lost it badly. But as Annie has said, the quirks of Ireland, which again, I'm adjusting to, obviously the central AA doesn't advertise what the meeting is, which I find strange. And now Annie told me why, which is great. Thank you, Annie. Um, and but the nice part about it is the meeting I'm hosting in Donnybrook at 11 a.m. on a Saturday is a meditation, a prayer meditation meeting. I got the meeting opened. So all the meetings seem to be in Ireland closed, which I thought was fascinating. And right now, I put this out in the Tisanu before, is that I am genuinely, I am the secretary of this, right? And so therefore, is that I would be really keen to have Tisanu members, secular members, gay members, based in Dublin, or going to be up in Dublin on a Saturday, to do a fucking chair for me. Because what? Another thing I found intriguing since I got back to Ireland. Fuck me. When did the Irish become so, oh, they're the rules and we're not, we're playing by the rules? I always looked at the rules of AA as a set of guidelines. So if you can, I'll put a little text in the group chat here if it's open. We'll share my number. And if anybody's interested, and I specifically am. I'm always interested in new experiences. I've traveled into all the other fellowships, NA, CA, what? Because I just want to see what their experience is. So if you can and you want to come to a physical meeting, it's run by me. Um, and it's a nice group of people. And because I'd like to get physical chairs, classic AA meeting. And just share your experience on what your experience, strength, and hope has been the journeys and the adventures in AA, whether religious, secular, whatever, whether gay. The more we share stories and share experiences, to be honest, come on, let's get real. Remember what it's in the, I appreciate it, it's in the big book. Wherever two AA members are gathered is a meeting. Does it say anything about race, creed, sexuality? No. So, I'll put a text out. Please do reach out to me on WhatsApp or send me a check because I just want to get people back into physical AA meetings and things don't change. How do things change? Don't hide. Let's come forward. Let's talk. It's always good to talk. Thank you. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, we'll stop the recording right after our buddy Toon comes in to share. Please unmute. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Marcia, for your service. Thanks, Lila, Annie, and Campbell for your shares. Very lovely. And they, uh, it was great to hear your stories and, and about your struggles and victories and uh, stirred some stuff up for me. Like, I don't go to LGBT meetings, basically, but um, I don't know. These topics have always been a thing for me. I think I did use drink on the sexuality stuff like and it's a thing i'm not sure about and i probably need the rest of my life to figure all this stuff out like i know i'm attracted to women but 
you think about penises often enough and you start wondering like there's something there probably so and i don't have to know the fucking labels or anything um but i i did struggle with that i grew up in like a village and, and people were, were like using gay and faggot like as, as bad words like one comedian i heard her say it a few weeks back like i was homophobic before i knew i was gay or something or before i knew i was bisexual and that's kind of what it felt like like a lot of shame in that stuff and i never felt safe around other men because they were all alpha all this alpha male bull bullshit crap right and i'm i'm really grateful to meet a few more uh, gentle men in my local recovery fellowship right now most of my friends are, are women and and i don't know it just, i've always felt different and um all well, this stuff remains a struggle and and we actually there's a new lgbt meeting in, in, my, in my city a physical one face-to-face uh, -face one starting and, and one fellow commented like why do we need one of those uh, it's uh, everyone is welcome at aa and i was like well exactly because of people like you mr fuckface judgmental prick it's it's you can't talk about everything everywhere well you can but not everyone is going to get it right the stuff you're going through and and i always felt different and, and shame about all this stuff I still do. I'm avoiding dating and intimacy like the plague because of fears and all these convictions. And uh, I just have to have faith that all that stuff will uh, come my way. And it's it's scary, you know. I I keep wondering, am I at a point in life where I'm? Uh, I think Marcia shared about being whole, stepping into a relationship whole. Like, at, am I at a point in my life where I'm whole enough to even do this stuff? I don't know. We'll see about that, but it's um, yeah, recovery is like road to self-discovery, and 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 um, I don't know. It's all this weird stuff. I'm pretty open-minded. When when someone comes to me with their issues on sex and intimacy and all that stuff, I'm open-minded, and I I I'm not very surprised easily. Like no shame in that, but. Every time it, it concerns me, I feel like that Game of Thrones scene where I walk naked through the street and they're ringing a bell, shame, shame, shame. So it's very, I don't know, it feels tricky. One thing I do really that I'm proud of is that a lot of my female friends feel safe talking about crap they went through because of toxic men and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm really happy I have a lot of safe people in my life thanks to recovery not just in online meetings but getting to know people who i think have good intentions in, in my local recovery fellowship as well and they're very important important because like someone said it's a lot of this shit is about finding your tribe and feeling like you, you can be yourself around other people i mean the biggest part of why i use alcohol and stuff is is feeling like i had to hide parts of myself right so and 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 i don't know i'm, I'm just grateful and it feels like i'm rambling but like one of the things i'm grateful for next week i'm gonna have sushi with three female friends and i'm gonna wear this pink fucking sweater because i want to and i'm probably gonna cry like a little baby telling them how important they are to me and i don't give a shit if that's 
not masculine or anything. Fuck you guys. It's like I am who I am, and I'm I'm learning in baby steps to accept that and to give less of a sh less of a fuck what other people think about it. So I'm very grateful to be here to today and to have heard all your shares. Thanks for having me.